Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Welcome to the BBC Good Food podcast. The next six episodes will be coming from the BBC Good Food show in Birmingham, where we talked with some of the nation's favourite chefs and food writers. In this episode, we hear from national treasure and Bake Off winner Nadia Hussein, food writer and Bake Off finalist Christelle Pereira, and the chef on a mission to make cooking easy, Chris Baber. First up on the Let's Talk Food stage was Christelle Pereira, who spoke with me, Samuel Goldsmith, about how her knowledge of flavour developed and the beauty of Goan cuisine, plus her ultimate baking disaster. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Do you know what? I feel like I'm going to fall asleep when I sit down. The sofa looks so comfy. <laughs> you were literally just saying you can sleep anywhere. Yes, Please, I literally can. Here. Yeah, don't worry. You're going to keep me very entertained. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about how your love of cooking began. Yes. So my so I've actually lived with my family my whole life. And my mum is an incredible cook. So she would always be cooking at home. And I just used to watch her cooking. I just found her cooking so fascinating. And even when I was really young, I was just used to watch her cook and cook away. And then she would, and I think the benefit of me doing that was she would always feed me a bonus bit of food on the side. So she would start saying, oh, go on, you know, have a bit of food while the other girls aren't here. (laughs) And and then I think it got to a point where she started saying, actually, what if you're going to, like, you know, eat this food? Can you taste it? Mm. You know, do do you actually think this curry is okay? Does it need more salt? Does it need more sugar? Does it need more lemon juice? And so... I was about six and I was saying to my mum, actually, yeah, add a bit of lemon juice to the chickpea curry. (laughs) But I think I just, I was so young, but my mum just sort of helped me develop my palate when I was really, really young. So I sort of, yeah, just I sort of started to understand flavours, you know, cutting through rich flavours with things like tamarind or lemon or adding a pinch of sugar to something savoury or vice versa. And so that is sort of how I really got into like my flavours. And then, and then I actually remember... So my mum would cook mainly quintessentially going dishes and she used to make this chicken soup and once she wasn't very well and I said, okay, mum, I'll make your chicken soup. And she goes, oh, well, do you need the recipe? I said, no, I, th- I think I can do it. <laughs> and I just made her chicken soup because I'd watched her make it for so many mm. years. I just, by eye, I sort of just knew how to do it. And then I just started making more and more of her dishes, again, without a recipe, but just because I'd watched her make it for years. And that was all going food. And then 
I'm such a foodie. I'm really adventurous. So when I eat out or when I go to restaurants, I'm always looking for something that I haven't tried before, trying new flavors. I'm really into that. And, um, and so I started discovering flavors like miso and gochujang and za'atar, like all these flavors from around the world when I would eat out. And so I started bringing those flavors home and saying, okay, mom, look, I bought tahini. I'm going to put that in a dish or I'm going to make some miso pasta. And so I started making sort of other cuisines from all around the world. And then that's sort of how basically I got really, really into my cooking and doing sort of fusion cooking from all around the world, really. So that I guess it's that your mum really helping you to explore yeah. your palate, which yeah. is great. Um, and I think that really helps, you know, parents when they do have children who don't necessarily want to eat things. Yeah. That really helps, I think, a child explore the flavours as well. Absolutely. And, and eat things that they may usually turn their nose up at. Exactly, because, and I think that's why now I'm such a flavour-led cook. So mm. I'm not into pretentious fine dining or anything. For me, as long as a food tastes good, I don't really care what it looks like. I just, <laughs> flavour and I think texture is the next one for me. Those two things are so important. So like you were saying, it really helped demystify a lot of ingredients that would otherwise be a bit scary or gross or whatever because I just grew up tasting food so as long as something tastes good I sort of would see the beauty in a flavor so like that something would be identified as salty something would be identified as sour or sweet and so that is sort of how I sort of learned how to cook was food and, flavor. And you mentioned about um, the Goan food that you had. Yes. So your, your parents are Kenyan born Portuguese going. Yes. And so what kind of food did you eat growing up? Yeah, so to give you a bit of background, so yeah, my family are from Goa. Now, Goa is in the south of India. So my surname is Pereira, which mm. is Portuguese. It means pear tree. Um, but what's interesting is, so Goa was colonized by the Portuguese. And so what that meant is the Portuguese came in years ago and invaded Goa. What that's meant is the cuisine is so interesting because... I think when a lot of people think about Indian food, you think, okay, like butter chicken or chicken tikka. But India, like India is a big place. India is a big country. And actually the food really differs as you travel around India. So when you go from places like Gujarat to Goa or to Kerala. So what's interesting about Goan food is because of this Portuguese colony, you've got all these other ingredients. So things like green chilies, fresh tomatoes, coconut, vinegar. And so when you eat the food, it's really different to a curry you would have in another part of India. So one dish, for, so actually you probably all heard of Vindaloo, which is I think quite kind of well known in the UK. Yeah. That came from a Portuguese dish called carne de vina de alos. It was basically a Portuguese pork and wine dish. When the Portuguese invaded Goa, the Goans took that dish, swapped the Portuguese wine with Goan vinegar and that became Vindaloo. Wow. So that's a really good example of Goan food and like vinegar is a really prominent ingredient and loads of my my recipes have like vinegar in them because that is so yeah that's so quintessentially Goan and when you think of vinegar you think oh that's going to be really sharp and sour it's not but the vinegar is enough to cut through like the sweetness or the saltiness so it just works really well so that's one thing I would say about Goan food it's really well balanced because you've got things like coconut and tamarind and all these roasted spices and so you're left and nothing is too um, like spicy either. Like it's just the right amount of spice. Nothing's too heavy, and it's just it's just really well balanced. I love it. I'm obviously biased, but it's great. <laughs> I can really sense that love of yeah, going food. Yeah. So if you had to pick one dish from childhood that was your absolute favourite dish, what would it be? Yeah, it would probably and the same meal would be my death row meal. It's going fish curry with rice. Goan fish curry is like, we call it GFC for short. It's literally the holy grail of all curries in, in my book. It's like a coconut based curry with chilies, spices, and you get the freshest fish you can get your hands on and you put it in. And it's just, it's, and because of the, 
you get these like roasted, these dried Kashmiri chilies and you blitz it. The curry is this beautiful, vibrant orange, which is all natural. And it's just, you've got the nuttiness of the coconut, the spice from the chili, and then you've got a bit of sweetness in there as well, then the fresh fish. It's just, it's amazing. I love it. And it, I would eat that every day if I could. Yeah, that would be my favorite dish. And while you may want to eat it every day, yes. what, where, was there a, like a specific time when you would have that? Yeah, so we actually, um, and I think it comes from like having a Catholic background, we would always typically have fish on a Friday. So we would call it Fish Fridays. And I think a lot of families would have fish and chips and we would have going fish curry. So every Friday, and I would love it because I would come home from school and I knew we were having fish curry and rice. And then it was my favorite thing. And now we don't really stick to it that often, but we still do have fish curry all the time. Um, and also for entertaining, if we have guests coming over, we always make loads of curries. Like we're the sort of family, we're feeders. So if you're coming over, we're not just going to make one curry and one rice. It's 10 curries and 10 rices. So going fish curry is always on the menu definitely and how often would you say you made it now still quite often i say once a week oh, wow. um yeah we all like maybe all once every two weeks yeah. um because it's also pretty simple and because now i know the recipe is quite easy to make but yeah it's one of my favorite recipes and if i don't my dad's also really good at making go and fish curry as well so we're all we i think my my dad between my dad my mom myself we can all make it so we take it in turns do you remember the first time you ate it oh probably that the taste is so nostalgic mm. um it was probably, I was probably at home. I think just probably when we had like guests coming over and like my mum had made and I just remember thinking this is so incredible. But I've had the curry in Goa, like where they've literally got fish caught like straight from the ocean. And that was like a bite I'll remember for the rest of my life. I think the flavour oh. of when fish has just been caught. Oh my gosh, don't. I'm it's... honestly, you're going to hear my stomach grumbling in a minute. I'm starving. <laughs> so I've got some quick fire questions for you now. Fire away. What's your most well-thumbed cookbook? Oh my gosh, I have so many on my shelf. It's so hard. Is there one that you always go back to time and time again? No, not really, which is really <laughs> bad. It's because I'm, I'm so adventurous. I always like trying different things. To be fair, Paul Hollywood's um, baking book, mm. I actually, especially when I was getting into my baking, I used to use that a lot. So I'd probably say that. What music do you cook to? Reggaeton, which is sort of like Latin hip hop. I love it. Something that's always in your fridge? A jar of miso, without a doubt, yep. I thought you were going to say leftover going fish curry. Oh, no, there's never leftovers. Are you joking? That gets, that gets wiped in one sitting. <laughs> What's your biggest cooking disaster? Okay, so when I first started learning how to bake, I couldn't bake. And I didn't know that you needed a weighing scale. So I tried to make a vegan meringues using like chickpea water. I boiled everything. I used icing sugar instead of regular sugar. Put, they actually, I mean, it formed what I thought was a meringue. Put it in the oven. When I took it out, they'd all evaporated. Oh. So uh, yeah, I'd say that. I actually made food disappear. So I'd say that was a magic <laughs> trick. So maybe another skill, but definitely not baking. And then finally, what's one of your food guilty pleasures? Oh, I wouldn't even say it's a guilty pleasure, but actually I can see two people eating ice cream. It's ice cream. Ice cream is my weakness. Anytime <laughs> I see ice cream, I have to eat it. Whether it's cold, it's hot, minimum two scoops, two different flavours. I usually try and pack in as many flavours as possible, but if I'm on holiday, ice cream every day, I love it. Favourite flavour? Oh, I actually like trying a new flavour every time, but I love pistachio or hazelnut. Oh, yeah, I love it, nutty flavours, yeah. Uh, Christelle Pereira, thank you for joining us on the BBC Good Food podcast, live from the BBC Good Food show in Birmingham. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. 
the perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Next up, Nadia Hussein on her tips of frugal cooking and her love of offal. Plus, learn how to make her mum's chicken korma. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Hi. us. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. Um, so, at the last show, yeah. uh, we were out back having a chit-chat, and you'd <laughs> given your daughter and your niece a fiver, I think. Yeah. And they came back with what looked like about £500 worth of shopping. <laughs> yes. Is that a skill they've learned from you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't... Ha- that was really impressive, though. It was really I impressive. I think we were both impressed. Yeah. I was like, have you... Is this shoplifting? <laughs> like, what is going on here? But they did. They came back yeah. with a lot of stuff. I just assumed they'd be going, I'm Nadia's daughter. I'm Nadia's niece. And they haven't and tried then. that one yet. <laughs> they haven't tried that one yet. But I think they are very frugal. Yeah. And I am very much kind of like make the most of everything yeah. so yeah probably you did a, an article for us recently about like all the frugal ways to cook in the kitchen and how you run your kitchen what are your top tips for making sure that you like make your ingredients go further so i think this is something that i've done my whole life so mm. it's really i think there's something that lots of people are thinking about a lot more now with the cost yeah. of living crisis so um but it's something that i've always done things like you know saving my potato peelings and mm. everyone has an air fryer now so you could save your potato peelings and then spice them up um use some oil and some spices yeah. and fry them and make crisps or i love using uh potato peelings over the few over few over weeks and putting them in the freezer and making a soup oh, wow. uh, make the most of your freezer most things can be frozen yeah don't throw out yes. your bread you know so it's all about kind of using what you have at home already and are they tips that you're also passing down to your to the children well i'm hoping they're listening because they're not doing very much at the moment <laughs> they are teenagers uh, my eldest is nearly 17 and and they don't do very much apart from mumble and sleep a lot. Exams though. So yes, we yeah. well don't worry that that'll be over next week and once that's over it's reality again. I said to my son, I will tidy your bedroom up until Wednesday. And after Wednesday, hell shall be unleashed. Because that is when you have to do the dishwasher. And I'm like being kind right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that they're learning as they go. Because they're watching me. Um, you know, I can see that they know. Like, they don't throw things away. They're like, mum, do we throw this away? Or what are we doing with this? So they know. They know. I think they're learning. Yeah. And do you like having helpers in the kitchen? No. No. <laughs> Not if they're 17. Or 16. No, I do. Yeah. I love when we're in the kitchen together. Um, and I've, I've, I've learned to be a little bit better in the kitchen because my husband asks me lots of questions. He's always like, shall I do this? And he knows that the spoon can just go in the pan, but he always <laughs> has to ask me because he's worried that I'm judging him. But I am definitely much better at letting them because there's times when the kitchen is workspace and there's times when the kitchen is home. And yeah. when it's workspace, the door's shut and they know don't go in. She's busy. And so they just kind of, I slide things by the door and they're like, they just like prisoners, like prisoners. They're like, you can have that. So yeah. Do you let them cook? They love cooking. Okay, good. They absolutely love cooking. Um, My eldest loves cooking. So he loves, also loves making a mess, but I'm trying to not think about that. Because the exams are over. Till the exams, remember? And then (laughs) hell shall be unleashed. Um, But he loves cooking. Um, My second son cannot see the point in cooking or eating. I know. He just eats. He goes, I need energy. (laughs) That's it. That's it. He eats for energy. And my youngest loves baking. Mm. And my husband can't cook. I wonder where he got the love of baking from. Who's that? My daughter. Oh, gosh. She absolutely 
she watches me and she just like I think she just sees it and she's like oh I'm gonna that. have a bit of that so she, yeah definitely I for love me. that did you help in the kitchen growing up Funnily enough, no, I didn't. I wasn't allowed in the kitchen very much because mm. I grew up in a house. We were, we're six siblings um, and we have a huge, there's no such thing as a nuclear family where we, you know, in the culture that we grew up, it was extended family, grandparents, uncles, aunts, kids, second, third, fourth cousins, everybody, neighbors, everybody, the door was always open. And so my mum was always cooking. And I think my mum just, my mum, I love cooking, but I think my mum cooked to feed and there sure. was definitely a resentment attached to that because she was mm. like, I just want to cook and I just want to get you lot fed and I want to get out of the kitchen. So whenever we wanted to go in and have a look, mum was like, nope, get out. <laughs> so we never, we never got in her way. But my dad, however, who ran restaurants his whole life, loved being in the kitchen. And, and so whenever he was in there experimenting and cooking things, he'd let me in. So I used to, I've definitely got my curiosity from him. Oh, that's really interesting. Because you talk a lot about you had an extended family around then. And I know now as well, that's really important to you. Last year, you came with your niece um, and you were talking earlier about how you wanted your nephews and things around cooking. Do you think that that has kind of helped that, that your extended family have an interest in cooking as well? Do you get your nieces involved, your nephews involved? With I think more people are definitely baking in our family. Yeah. Like when I first started baking, it was just me. Um, but okay. now my sister bakes a little bit and so does my niece and so does my daughter. So I think it's definitely got everybody interested in baking. Mm. Um, and my, you know, my, my, everyone in my family, they're amazing cooks. We grew up around food. Mm. My dad ran restaurants. And so food became, and food has been such, like my dad, that's my dad's love language. He loves cooking. He loves experimenting in the kitchen. So, um, yeah, so cooking something that we've always done mm. and they're all really good at it. But um, so it's really good. It's great for me because when I'm bored, I just go to my sister's house and I'm like, I lift all her lids and I'm like, what have you got cooked? And she just knows <laughs> I'm there to eat. And it's really nice because nobody else cooks for me. So it's quite oh. nice to just go to my sister's. And um, what kind of food did you eat growing up? Uh, we grew up eating. So it's, uh, we grew up eating rice and curry. So rice and our staple was fish, rice curry like that was that was what we had lots of vegetables lots of fish not so much meat lots of offal we ate loads oh, wow. of offal because back then it wasn't trendy um and it was and they were throwing it away and so my dad's like i'll have that and and we grew up on a farm like my dad grew up on a farm so when you killed an animal and you ate an animal you ate all of it you didn't just eat the best bits um and so i grew up on offal my kids to this day if you ask them what their favorite thing is they will tell you it's cow's tongue and wow. tripe, they love it. Um, they absolutely love it. Tripe is not just for dogs, guys. <laughs> Humans like it too. It's really good, cooked yeah. well, it's really delicious. Um, and so I suppose, and I'm really lucky because now my kids are not fussy. Yeah. They'll eat whatever. It's um, interesting. And obviously the way it was shaped, because I think my mum actually used to put uh, cow's tongue in my sandwiches when I was at school. Mm -hmm. And I hated it because it felt like I was being punished because my friends had like brie and cranberry or you know, something really fancy. But Actually, I think if I'd had it at your house, I probably would have loved it. But I've never had it in a sandwich. You don't want it. Well, is it just like sliced? Sliced. And, and then... It looks like the tongue. Oh. Yeah. Okay, once I'm done with it, it does not look like a tongue. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like cooked down and loads yeah, of spices. That's what I mean. It's delicious. And like the tripe takes like eight hours to cook, but it's good. It's Ooh, like, yeah, like nothing good. in a sandwich, although I love a sandwich. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a sandwich. And so that clearly that's helped shape the way you cook today, what you learned when you were, were growing up. Absolutely. I think 
even though I grew up in a house where we had rice and curry every day, twice a day, mm. for seven days a week, all year round, um, you know, I also had um, the luxury of having a dad who ran restaurants. So I mm. got to see what the other side of the world, you know, what other people ate. Um, even though it was a kind of Western version of Indian cooking, I got to see what other people ate. And also, when I went to school back in the days, when like salt and flavor was allowed, we, you know, we'd have like, good pizzas like with loads of cheese and like burgers and we had all of that kind of stuff so I had lots of different I think a part of me it made me realize as a cook now how I kind of dipped into all these different worlds yeah um, especially you know I also had the layer of going to Bangladesh and living on a farm and living off the land so I had all these kind of elements that kind of led me to where I am now and it's yeah. definitely made me a very open cook like I'm quite adventurous I'm quite open and I'm willing to try anything so yeah. like and I, and I love mucking around with flavors so I'd love to know, if you had to pick one dish that was your ultimate favourite dish, what would it be? Like ever, ever, ever. ever. Something that really brings back memories, you know, that nostalgic feeling. I think it would have to be my mum's chicken korma. And that's like my kids, we only cook it twice a year, so only on Eid. So when, we, when we're celebrating Eid, they're the only times we cook it. And it's not the kind of chicken korma you think when you think of an Indian restaurant with mm -hmm. like cashews and, and cream. And it's not like it's not like that. It's got simple ingredients, onions, ginger, garlic and whole spices, no ground spices. It's got that very traditional color. And it's, and it's got so like it's got so much. It's got the same amount of onions as it does chicken. So it's wow. sweet and the gravy is thick and delicious. It's so, so good. And I remember my like you make it, but you eat it three days later because the flavor develops. And I remember my mom used to cook it. And it would, like, you could smell it through the door. I'm like, oh, she's cooking it. And it's really cool because now when I cook it, the kids, it, it's the only thing that gets the teenagers out of their bedrooms. They're like, oh, what's she cooking? But they, they know they can't eat it for three days because so, it'll sit in the fridge. So, um, yeah, that's probably my, probably my mum's chicken korma. My mouth is literally salivating. It is delicious. It. So if I'm, I'm at home now... I'd have to uh, three days until I can eat it from cooking. Yeah. But what's the process? How do I make it? Oh, it's like I said, really simple. Lots of clarified butter. So yeah. clarified butter, really distinct flavor. No, uh, we don't do butter. We don't do oil. It's just clarified butter. And then, um, and lots of you know it as ghee. And then simple whole spices. So bay leaves, cardamom, um, cinnamon, and uh, cardamom, bay leaves, cinnamon. Oh my goodness, what's the fourth one? I don't know. Cardamom, I want to know. Bay leaf, cinnamon. Oh my God, fennel. There's five. You put that in and then lots of onion. Like So you have okay. equal amounts of onion to chicken. And then you cook the onion down so slowly. The onion takes about three hours to cook wow. till it's completely come down. And then it's completely melted. And then mm. you put garlic and ginger paste. And then you add your chicken. And then you mix that. And then you leave that to cook and let it simmer. And then you add boiled eggs. Wow. Right, that's the curveball. Yeah. You add boiled eggs and you let that cook and the, and, and the flavor kind of penetrates the boiled eggs. And the reason why they put boiled eggs in, it's not mm. traditional in any way. It's just because we lived on a farm. And um, oh. when you live on, when you, you just needed to, like you needed to make things stretch. Yeah. And so they would add eggs. That's fascinating. Um, and then that's just been our tradition ever since. Yeah. In fact, when, my, when I was growing up, my dad just put egg in curry. Yeah. So it's obviously something that's, that's out, you know, that, that's carrying through. Yeah, it's cheaper, it, the yeah. chicken and it, and I mean, not anymore. Like eggs are really expensive <laughs> now. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I've now got some quick fire questions mm -hmm. for you. So what's your most loved cookbook? My most loved cookbooks. Um, okay, so I have um, 
it's not even one with a name or anyone on it. It's just making classic cakes. I won it when I was 16 years old because I did really well in my GCSEs. And my wow. teacher, they have this award ceremony and she gave me this book and she just said, I think you're going to need this one day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's so here weird. today. <laughs> <laughs> um, what music do you cook to? Um, I... I, I'm re I really love the Stereophonics. They're like they're my favourite band in the history of time. And some people are probably way too young to know who Stereophonics are. But I love Stereophonics. That's my like I at think, the moment. That's what I'm listening to. Yeah. Um, something that's always in your fridge. Chocolate. I love that. Answer always. Too. <laughs> chocolate because chocolate has to come out the fridge. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And yeah. I wasn't a convert, but until recently. But it's that crunch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest cooking disaster. Biggest cooking disaster. So I did a liquid chocolate cake where you put quite a lot of boiling water into the cake batter, but I used a springform tin, but I didn't clip it in properly. And then I put it in and then left a trail of chocolate, not realizing I'd left a trail of chocolate, put it in the oven, continued to let it bake, put the timer on, walked away, come back. And there's no actual cake in the cake tin, but it was all in the base <laughs> of the oven. And I was like, I can't eat that. And, and about half an hour later, my husband, I can see him scraping it. And he's like, <laughs> bit of custard. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Like uh, chicken fat and everything, happy. Oh. He was just going to eat it. Did he clean the he, oven? Did, no, he ate, it. He ate the cake, he ate though. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And what's a guilty food pleasure? No food should ever be guilty, firstly, can I just say. I guess what's a food you enjoy that some people think you, you shouldn't? <laughs> I, do you know what? I am obsessed with crisps. Like, if, yeah. if I could get anything free for the rest of my life, it would be crisps. When I was pregnant, I used to get two six packs um, and then I would eat all of them and then I would like leave the 12th one for my husband and I would even then I would warn him and say you need to hurry up and come and eat this crisp because I am going to eat it otherwise and he always let me have the 12th packet always well on that note Nadia Hussein thank you so much thank for joining you. us on the BBC Good Food Podcast thank you yay thank you <laughs> And finally, talking cooking with his granddad and his love of growing people's confidence in the kitchen is Chris Baber. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you started your cooking journey aged five. Um, I should clarify, you weren't put to work in a restaurant at that age. Oh no, it sounds bad. It was at home and now my mum's <laughs> like, God, I'll have like child line on the phone or something. It sounds like we've forced you into the kitchen, but no, it was voluntary. I'd be in there stood on a chair helping my parents with my granddad and I just fell in love with cooking. So, and that's how your, your journey began, basically? Yeah, it really is. I think it was more at my granddad's house. I could see how much joy he took from cooking for me and my family. It put a smile on their face, but I remember going in the kitchen, there'd always be music on and he'd be enjoying the process of cooking as much as he would, I think, actually doing the cooking bit itself. And then I just thought, I like a bit of this. Then, that, yeah, that's how it all started. And I guess allowed you to grow closer, kind of, like with your granddad. And Yeah, totally. I think that was the one-on-one -on -one time, other than me and my cousins and my sisters and that. That was mm. the one time we'd get together and, yeah, cherish those memories. Yeah, so nice. Um, so was there anything you remember cooking, like, that really impressed your family? I can't remember a specific dish. I think it was more just... I think it was the selfish satisfaction of putting a meal on the table and just seeing everyone smile. You know, I come from a really working class background and I just enjoyed the cooking, but I think I really realised how much it helped at home. 
Sure. And I think that's the bit I enjoyed. And I think selfishly, I was cooking things that I wanted to try. And I'd yeah. see Rick Stein, Angel, and all, and the TV traveling around the world. I'm like, I want to try this. But I really fell in love with Indian cuisine. And I went on to work with uh, Atul Kutcher later yeah. down the line. And I think it's that thing like, it's instant gratification, isn't it? Like you say, you're getting that feeling that you've helped but also you've made something and it's there right in front of you yeah totally it's it's instant feedback isn't yeah. it hopefully positive sometimes <laughs> negative but it's all a learning curve and if it's not perfect then go away and do it next time because it's just a bit of cooking exactly yeah no fear um so how did that cooking then develop into the beginning of your career yeah so i always loved food i didn't know that i would necessarily have a career in it my mum always used to say, oh, one day, you know, you'll make your money in food. I'm like, nah, nah, not for me. I don't want to do that. But I never aspired to work in a kitchen or a restaurant. I think because of where I lived in the countryside, I wasn't eating out in restaurants. We'd have a takeaway now and again. We might go to an Indian place, a Chinese or an Italian, mm. but it was a special occasion. So I really just loved cooking at home. But I think my big drive would have been looking at people on the TV and thinking, if one day I could do this, that's more the route I'd want to go in terms of showing people how to cook sure. rather than serving it in a, in a restaurant. So it really was just me cooking at home. Then from a bit of pressure from friends, I guess, get your recipes on social media. I think seven, yeah. eight years ago, started to just share pictures of my dinner. Didn't know what I was doing. Started to build a following. Someone from the BBC contacted me and said, I think you'd be a great contestant on a TV show we're doing. It was called Yes Chef on BBC Two, like a daytime cookery competition for home cooks. Yeah, cool. And that was 2016. And then Atul Kutcher went to work with. He was the judge on the show. And afterwards, after winning it, he just said, you know, if you want a real job, come and work with me in London. And I guess that's when it really started sure. professionally. And how did it feel different from those moments of being in the kitchen compared to oh, you sat at home or stood on a table at home dancing away to your music? Yeah, I think first of all, you know, it's great when your mum and dad tell you you can cook, but it's another <laughs> thing when a chef with a Michelin star says you can cook. So I think that was like a moment when it gave... I'm all about getting people confident in the kitchen, but that was the moment that really gave me the confidence to mm. go, yeah, I'm, I'm more right at this. I'd like to explore and learn more. How did it differ? You know, at the start in the restaurant, I'd be stood there for 12 hours chopping onions. I don't know if I, if I was actually crying or it was the onions making me cry. It was, um, it was brutal, to be honest, but in a good way because it was such a vast learning experience. Mm. And as hard as it was, not just in the restaurant, it was the fact I was in Mayfair. I'm from the countryside. You walk out into Berkeley Square in the middle of Mayfair at one o'clock in the morning. God, I've never seen anything like it. So it was like a real experience in, in my whole life. Yeah. And so although you were doing most of the cooking, and obviously then you went on to be a chef, yeah. is there a dish that you remember eating that like really oh. like feels super nostalgic and yeah. that you go to, like just brings back all the memories? There's two dishes. Or maybe I can go for three, if that's okay. Mm. Number one would be my granddad used to make this broth every winter, and it was like pearl barley, ham hock, and he got this, um, I'm pretty sure he stole it from, I don't know, he was a bit of a wheeler dealer. This pot was massive in this tiny kitchen and he'd be boiling it for hours and hours and hours. And it was like an old school, it had all the root veg in it. The ham would pull off the bone and every winter he'd make a vat of it and we would take it home and freeze it and we'd do like suet dumplings. And if I think about it enough, I can almost taste it in a weird way and I've never tried to replicate that because I know I'll not be able to do it mm. justice and it's just a great memory for me up there. The second one is when I did the TV show in terms of a memory, all day I could smell something in the air and I didn't quite know what it was but it smelled aromatic and at the end of the day on the filming, 
Atul had to show us one of his signature dishes, and it turned out to be this thing he called lamb with a rogan jus. And I remember he put it down in front of us. I've never met this guy. He's a hero of mine. I loved Indian cuisine. I'd never had Michelin star food. And I took a bite of it, and the sauce that he called a rogan jus tasted like this smell, and I was like, what is it? And it was black cardamom. And if I ever smell the black cardamom pod, it literally takes me back to sitting there being this nervous boy, I guess. And yeah, that, that's a super memorable one. And I'm sorry to go on one more. It's okay. There's a lamb curry that my mom used to always make. And every time I go back up north, as soon as I walk in the dark and smell it, because it's like guaranteed she'll, she'll make it for my dinner. And if you, could, if you had to pick one, and that's mm. the only one you could ever eat, Again, be, yeah. Oh, the, the lamb curry, without doubt, because it's like a taste, you know, coming from Northumberland saying a lamb curry is a taste of home, but it really is. Like that, that, that for me is like, I feel like I'm home again. And have you ever tried to replicate it? Oh, yeah, it's in my book actually, so uh, if anyone's interested, but it's something that we all just sort of made together and we had the recipe written down, so yeah, I make it, but I, d- I don't really bother now, I just save it for my mum when I go home, my mum does it. <laughs> have you ever made it for your mum? Oh, yeah, when I was younger. I think it was something I started, then I showed her what to do, and I moved away. I actually wrote all of the recipes down by hand, and my dad put them in, like, an old laminate, like, uh, the plastic sleeves, and he made his own book with all of the recipes, um, and he started to actually do most of the cooking at home for my mum. That's so cute. Having never really done any of it before. So, what is in this lamb curry? Oh, it's, like, lamb dansak style, so it's hot, but it's got the sourness. So it's uh, like garam masala, cumin, some quite warming spices, but then a lot of lentils in there as well. Mm-hmm. And then it's all finished with a lot of lemon juice and mint, so you get like sweet, there's some honey in there, you can use sugar, and I think the flavour profile really is sweet, sour and hot. Sure. Sounds great. Mm. Um, and so during lockdown, uh, you yeah. started the Chris Baber Cooking School, yep. um, which provided free cook-alongs, helping kids learn to cook. Like, yep. how, did that, how did that come about? It just, I mean, first of all, it came about because I was in the flat on my own, living in a tiny box in London in the winter. It was horrific. And I wanted to do something, I guess, using the community I'd built of a couple of hundred thousand people, looking at the demographic of my audience. A lot of them I knew had children. But then also it was like, I don't want to do kids' meals, but something that's good enough for everyone here, but also easy enough for children to make. And I guess that's the philosophy of the book, proper food, but easy enough for anyone. And um, yeah, it just started three nights a week. I do some at five o'clock or six for parents and kids. And I still got families now message me and say, we're still making that pictures of like, it was normally like a dad and the son doing like a bit of bond. And I guess like me and my granddad did and they'd never either of them cooked. I had an interest, but let's give this a go. And it was great. We did some workshops today. We had a group of um, 15, 16 year old food tech students up from Northumberland down. And they were so engaged and willing and eager to learn and just captivated by learning how to cut things and the flavor profiles of food. And I think if there's one thing I can help with or make a difference in the future, it's just getting children into it. And people say, oh, what do you know about cooking with kids? You haven't got any. I'm like, yeah, but I was one 20, 30 years back. And I know how much satisfaction I took from it. So yeah, that's something I'm passionate about would you ever like open your own cookery school do you think as in like a you know a physical thing do you know what it's something i would definitely look into later down the line Mm. i think things are going that way on social media now but i still i love to do things in person meeting real people that's why i love being here at bbc food i think it's very clear that you're passionate about passing on what you've learned yeah and the feelings that you got from cooking Mm. 
to to the younger generation. Totally, and I think I'd never thought of it like that, but it is a feeling. It's not just creating a recipe, but how does it make you feel? How does it make other people feel and yourself? And I think the whole lockdown, it was like good for your mental health, actually doing a process Mm. that you're in control of and can take it whichever way you want. Right, and before I let you go, I've got some quick fire questions for you. What's your most loved cookbook? My most loved cookbook is called Ainsley Harriet's Gourmet Express, and it must be 25 years old, and it's the first book that I started to actually cook from. I've still got it at my mum and dad's, and it's one of them, the, so- the pages are literally splattered in sauce, and you know when you've had a book open so many times on certain pages, there's this thing you call cheeky chicken tikka masala, and the book might as well be open on it. And yeah, that book is the one that really got me cooking. It was fantastic. What's always in your fridge? Milk, apples, pears, cheese. Pretty basic stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Then I always just buy in the extra bits when I need it. Oh, and loads of condiments. Right. What music do you cook to? Oh, see... I like the cheesy stuff. Anything you'd hear at like a wedding disco or something <laughs> like that, generally. I've got a Spotify playlist, Baber Flavor on there. There's hundreds of songs. Uh, what's your biggest cooking disaster? When I was at the restaurant in Mayfair, I had to make like this red pepper sauce. And we've got these um, industrial um, blender. You can put cement in them and it'll grind it to a powder. And you know where you have the hand, you can move it around. And I've, rather than putting the handle in the top, I'd fed it up and put it in. And I had all the chef's whites on. I'd loaded it up with this liquid, uh, these peppers that we'd cooked for like six hours, or it might have even been overnight. The amount of energy that had gone into it. I've turned this thing on with a stick the wrong way in, blew it up. The machine's worth four grand. I'm pretty much crying like a kid. Like, they run around, but I'm covered in red, and they thought I'd like severed a... <laughs> a hand and it was blood and I felt so embarrassed oh no but you know but you hadn't cut yourself which is I hadn't cut myself but they'd probably have rathered that than me breaking this machine (laughs) to be honest what's a food you've never tried before I've never tried quick fire I'm I'm a bit slow on this one (laughs) I've tried I think I've I don't know any any weird suggestions? I've tried pretty much anything that I'll be offered. We've had a lot of frog today. People have. Oh, I've never frog. had frog. There yeah. you go. I've uh, never had frog, alligator, or kangaroo. There's three okay. things. Thank you, uh, Chris Baber. Thank you so much thank for you. joining us on the BBC Cheers. Good Food Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.